the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Makeovers of various kinds. We love the before and after pictures, don't we? They're amazing. The Apostle Paul has a before and after picture that he paints for us here in Romans chapter 8. We'll explore that picture next on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Today we are back in the book of Romans, chapter 8, looking at the first eight verses. Today's message has simply been entitled by Pastor Gary, The Spiritual and Carnal Man Contrasted. That great before and after picture, right? That's what we're looking at here in Romans 8. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Gary and today's Abounding Grace. Here is some mighty great news for us sinners in Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. There is no condemnation in Christ. His blood is sufficient to wash us from the grossest, basest sins. His righteousness is impeccable. No specks, no shortcomings. It will stand up before the gaze of the holy God. Now, this no condemnation is to to those who are in Christ, who are in union with him through faith in God's promises. And they are defined in the first four verses, as well as other verses that we will look at today. And it is as those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In other words, no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. Who are in Jesus? Those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. A problem the godliest, the holiest have to recognize is there is a lot of flesh in each one of us. And how do I know for sure? Well, I think Paul has given us three verses, five through eight, to explain this radical difference between flesh and spirit. Your translation may say carnal instead of flesh, and we need to define those two words, spirit and flesh, very carefully. Flesh, or carnal, refers to our corruption, our sin nature. When we normally hear the word flesh, we think of skin, But that's not what it is here. Paul uses it in this and similar passages because flesh means body. Then having, if it does mean body, then having a body would be the same thing as being corrupt. And if that is the case, then there is a defect in the way that our God made us. As many philosophers and world religions have actually said And therefore, the fault for our lowness, our sinfulness, is with God. No. Flesh means our corruption, 
our sinful proclivities. The very root of our heart is being sold in sin. Now, spirit should probably be capitalized here. Most of the best in the history of the church have taken it that way to refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he joins us to the Lord Jesus. He is the seal. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the down payment. So think of it like this. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' engagement ring to us. That we belong to him and will be forever his until the great day of the wedding feast of the Lamb in all of its fullness. Now, a lot of times today when we hear the word spiritual, we think of spiritual activities, praying, devotion, church ministry, mission trips. But really the way we should think about spirituality today is, or, or most people speak of, of um, spirituality today, it is an escape from earthly responsibilities. If I could just have my monastery time, if I could just have my cloister time, quiet with myself. But that is not what Paul means by spirit. And by the way, that is also the reason why there are so many spiritual diseases in the church today. Most of the literature that is being produced today is dealing with spiritual problems in the psychosis of believers. Now, granted, we need help. There's certainly no doubt about that. But narcissism, self-love, self-focus, that is what is producing a lot of diseases. Because we think of spirituality as an emotional high or personal fulfillment. And in the church today, that quest never seems to end. So that's not what Paul means. By flesh, he means the principle of sin. The corruption that we all have because of Adam. The Spirit, he means the Holy Spirit's work, uniting us to the Lord Jesus and then enabling us to lead a godly life. So verses 5 through 8 are really encouraging, especially verse 5, because now he tells us how we can clearly know I am in Christ and therefore freed from condemnation. Am I walking after the Spirit or after the flesh? Well, he starts with the fleshly side because he's starting with the negative. Those who are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. Now the word mind here is a very, very common word in Greek dealing with all of the soul's faculties, our thinking, willing, affection, desire. In other words, those who are after the flesh those for whom sin is still the pattern of their life. Jesus hasn't broken sin's dominion yet, and therefore they are still under condemnation. And how do we know they are? And if it is me, how do I know? I mind the things of the flesh. Sin is what excites me. Now, I may have to keep it covered, I may have to keep it under wraps because I also want to keep face. Because looking nice and moral and polite is a reflection of my pride. But still, the bent of my life is I want to sin. There are no tears of remorse. 
no saving tears of remorse when I commit it. I look for the opportunity to commit it. That is where my affections are. Now, don't just think of the baser sexual sins here. This could be someone who just loves his lies. It just, I just want to live on my terms. I, I want to have whatever I want at whatever the cost, and I will even run over those around me to get it. If any of these deeds of the flesh, anger, pride, outbursts of wrath, if any of these things dominate us, if they are the pattern of our life, we are in the flesh. We are not in the spirit. One of the ways we can know if these things are dominating us, one of the ways we clearly differentiate walking after the spirit versus walking after the flesh is that there is one thing the man who is walking after the flesh will never do. He will never, facing his own sinfulness, honestly flee to Christ. Now, he may know of Christ, But Jesus is not personal to him. Jesus is just out there somewhere. The man of the flesh hears other people talking about Jesus. He probably even hears preachers from time to time. Even his wife talking to Jesus. But there's no personal sense of, Lord, save me. I'm drowning. I cast myself upon you. The man who walks after the flesh may even hate it, but he is enslaved to it, and he can't do anything differently. Notice now, those who are after the things of the Spirit. And what are the things of the Spirit? They are godliness, truth, love, peace, joy, gentleness, meekness, self-control, the fruit of Of the Spirit. Those whose lives are after the Spirit, whose lives are actuated, energized by, defined by the work of the Holy Spirit, they love Him. They love God's Word. And when the preacher says, Be in the Word, it just rings the bell of their own heart and they want it even more because that is the direction they were already going in because the Spirit put the desire there. They love to talk about the things of God, and it's not out of guilt, but because the Holy Spirit has done this work in them. Remember what we have already seen. It's not a work we do. This is a work that God does. Therefore, God gets to define it. Let me ask you, did you buy an appliance recently, big or small? It came with an owner's manual, didn't it? Why is that? Why, moreover, was the manual not a blank booklet that came with a magic marker and you got to write in whatever instructions you wanted? It's because you didn't make the appliance. It's not yours in the sense of you don't define how to correctly use it. The manufacturer and the government with its regulations does. It's the same thing with God. When he gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, I'm now the pattern of your life, not corruption, not sin. I am. Now, granted, this grows in us. It's not snap your fingers and everything goes away. 
but the Holy Spirit is a real living power that changes the intercourse, appetites, the desires, the thinking of the heart and the life. Now, you might think this is supposed to be encouraging. I mean, isn't it as believers our sense that we're not always walking after the Spirit? I don't even do it most of the time. I'm still back in chapter 7, O wretched man that I am. So Paul brings these clarifying words. Okay, now let me tell you what walking after the Spirit and walking after the flesh are. This is supposed to be encouraging. Yes, it is because it is intended to lead us away from ourselves to Christ. It is not the performance I can muster. It is not the progress I can make. But it is the Holy Spirit's work that makes me walk in newness of life. It is not me. It's him. Now, who is he? Well, among many things I could say, I will limit it to just this one thing. He is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So if we walk after the Spirit, because this isn't a command, it's a description. So if we are walking after the Spirit in His realm, according to His presence and guidance, do you know how you're really going to feel? Unholy. The holiest men in the Bible. Do you remember them ever saying, Phew, I walked after the Spirit, so follow me. Did Job say that? Did David? What about Asaph? Asaph was one of the godliest men of his age. And what did he say? I was a beast before you because I didn't mind the things of the Spirit as I should have. I was minding the things of this life. My worries, my fears, my flesh. Let me take you to one of Paul's closing confessions. This is in Philippians 3. He, here is the confession of a man who is undoubtedly viewed by every one of us here today as a godly man. He's nearing the end of his life, probably a year or two max from when he wrote this. And notice what he says in verse 8. Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead, not, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which I also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high or upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Here is a man who honestly faced his own weakness in the garden of what I call transparency. I'm not perfect, he says. I have not attained. And we can add to what we have already seen in chapter 7. I feel my own wretchedness. And yet, what happens when the Holy Spirit works in us and we feel our weakness? He, at the same time, from that fertile soil of a broken and contrite heart, sprouts up hope, desire, love for Christ, faith in God's promises. These are the fruit of that. In other words, beloved, back in chapter 8, when Paul clarifies here, what it is to walk after the flesh and after the spirit, he does so to warn us. Don't be a false, self-deceived professor of the faith. If you walk after the flesh, if sin, corruption, self, whatever sin may be, is the dominant feature of your life, if it is the controlling principle, you commit a sin You wipe your mouth and you can't wait to commit it again. Even if you cry a few crocodile tears in between, it is the bent of your life. You are after the flesh and you need to come to the deliverer. You come to Jesus because he cleanses and he heals and he only makes all things new. But if you walk after the spirit, that doesn't mean everything is perfect. Walking after the Spirit means that when we sin, we feel our brokenness. And it is the Holy Spirit who breaks us. It means that we desire godliness. The Holy Spirit helps us to desire that. It means we cry at times like Jesus did. Remember the days of his flesh? He offered up strong cries and groanings unto him who was able to deliver him from death. And how did our Savior live? Facing so much misery, he hoped in his Father. That is what life is like in the Spirit. But it doesn't mean perfection. So today we all, if we know the Lord, are struggling with our sins, whatever they may be. But are we struggling in faith and hope and love and looking unto Jesus? Are you? Or are you struggling by looking within? I I don't measure up. I'm not where I need to be. Well, the leprous man did not put silly putty on his nose or on his appendages that had fallen off because he wanted to dress up and pretend before he came to Jesus. He came with his skin flaking off, perhaps without fingers or toes. And he said, Lord... Here I am. I'm a leper. And Jesus said, what do you want? The leper said, Lord, sovereign master, I want you to make me clean. Be clean. So when Paul says, walk after the spirit, he doesn't mean you're perfect, at least not yet. But you will be if you know the Lord Jesus But he means that the spirit is the controlling factor of your life. And when there is sin, there is repentance. When there is failure, there is a desire. When there is a fall, there is a recommitment to walk in holiness of life. But not so, verse 6, the carnal mind. 
the fleshly mind because death reigns. It's interesting. It says to be carnally minded is death. And is is added there because there's not one in the Greek. It just in an absolute sense, fleshly mind means death. It's already dead. All it knows is the graveyard of sin and corruption. It doesn't know hope. It doesn't know peace. The dead fleshly mind has never experienced, after being convicted of a sin, of getting on its face before God and knowing, yes, I'm a sinner, but God has made gospel promises to me and God will cleanse me of my sins. It's not my goodness I bring to God. It's the righteousness of Christ. Dead men don't know anything of that at all. They can't. Their life Their soul, everything about them is dominated by the graveyard. Jesus has not come their way yet and said, sinner, come forth. But notice the spiritually minded man has life and peace. Jesus has stood and he must stand at your grave or you don't know him. He must stand at your grave and say, oh, sinner, Come forth, just like he did Lazarus. He has to say, Gary Wagner, come forth. Ken Robb, come forth. Linda Chow, come forth. Don Wright, come forth. Because until he does, there's nothing but death for us. There's no ability to hate sin. There's no ability to repent of it, to turn to the Lamb of God and keep seeking God's grace and mercy. But the spiritual mind is life and peace. Think of Jesus' conflict with sin. Now, granted, it wasn't his, but it was worse, almost worse than if it was his, because he was dealing with the full judicial implications of all human sin. There were almost, these were almost his last words before he went to meet his tormentors. He said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives peace. Now, he wrestled in the garden, but the wrestling, listen, was proof of the peace. The wrestling was the proof of the peace. Because men who do not feel themselves to be reconciled to God and right with him do not wrestle with him for righteousness. The wrestling is the peace. The praying with hope in God, that is the peace. The desiring of Christ, that is the peace. And when Jesus stood before his earthly tormentors, he was calm because he was the one directing the traffic. On the cross, he was in control. Standing naked, condemned before the heavenly tribunal for our sins, he still had true rightness with his father. He forgave his enemies. He hoped in God. He loved his mother. He shouted in victory. You see the life of peace? The spiritually minded man who is alive and has peace, it doesn't mean that he is, has absence of conflict. It means a sense of rightness with God so I can wrestle and be confident. I can pray and know that I am heard 
through Jesus. Not because I have performed well, but because God has given me His Holy Spirit. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.